You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. In today's episode, we are going to tap dance with Dave McClure, the founder of 500 Startups and a self-styled baby member of the PayPal Mafia. Now he's launching Practical VC, a secondary fund for LP interests in VC funds. You are in for a treat. Good deal. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Diffuse Tap. Just so you know what is on tap briefly here, we're going to talk a little bit about Diffuse and Diffuse Tap. Um, we're going to do a fireside chat with the man of the hour, who is Dave McClure, who is also a regular at Diffuse Tap. So many of you will know him, but you won't know his insights that we'll, we'll, we'll draw, draw it out of him. And then we're going to do two more rooms, a breakout rooms, kind of like the one you did just now, a little bit longer, but to give you a chance to network with other emerging managers. So briefly about Diffuse, what we do, we do fund in a box. We take folks and we work with folks who have found a really compelling investment thesis, but don't necessarily know the nuts and bolts of running a fund. And then we step in as the operating partner. So we have a whole process to go from back of the envelope idea for an investment vehicle into a fully functional, high returning institutional grade vehicle. Um, one of those funds we're working with right now is Aaron Capital, which is a public sector entity litigation finance fund, very specialized and grant the GP over there has you know 25 years direct experience litigating, but doesn't have any experience running a fund. So we're helping out with that. And one of them that we're launching right now is this Diffuse Digital 30, which is the first institutional grade index fund for digital assets. Diffuse Tap, that's the event you're in right now. Um, it's heavy on networking, about three quarters of our time. You, we spend in those small groups networking with emerging managers from all over. Um, and then the other 15 minutes, we have somebody like Dave McClure on to talk about what whatever we think will be interesting or whatever he thinks will be interesting to the group. And we also, a new addition here, we're starting a sister event to Diffuse called Deallocators. This is an event, uh, Diffuse Tap is an event for emerging managers to come together, network, share trends, collaborate. Deallocators is for people who are actually investing in alternative funds to do similarly. So it's an invite only bi-weekly event for LPs in alternative funds to network and talk about trends, opportunities, things like that. So if you know anybody that would be a good fit for that event, Please do not be shy about sending them over. Take a hick out off today, Mr. McClure. I'm, you know, I'm not really going to do uh, you justice with an introduction. So maybe I'll just kick it over to you and let you introduce yourself. That's totally fine. Actually, I'm not going to worry about the intro. Uh, hi, I'm Dave. I've uh, been a nerd in Silicon Valley for about 30 years. Uh, about half of that time, I've been uh, software developer, entrepreneur, marketing, conferences, janitor, pretty much all of the above. Uh, and for the last 15 years or so, I've been investing in startups, at least a few. Uh, and initially as an angel investor, uh, then for a little time with Founders Fund with Peter Thiel and Sean Parker, uh, I started a firm called 500 Startups about 10 years ago. Uh, we did a few investments and some of them worked, most of them did not. Um, and then we uh, started a firm called, I started a firm called Practical Venture Capital with a few folks uh, just a few years ago. And we do uh, primarily liquidity via the secondary market for funds. Anyway, that's enough on that topic. Um, I'm trying not to use a lot of slides, but if folks want to play along, I included a link and uh, there's a passcode for that if you guys want to take a look at that. Um, I'm going to show at least one of the slides before we jump in, and then I kind of want to keep it interactive after that. So I will try not to uh, 
talk too much to the slides. Um, the thing that we're going to talk about today is about brands uh, for uh, for VC funds. And I guess there's there's two primary audiences for that brand. There's the founders that you're trying to get to take your money. Uh, there's the LPs that you're trying to get to, you know, give you money to, to invest. And that uh, picture is one of my favorites uh, of the cat with the gun on top of the unicorn. Uh, I don't know who the credit is for that. I should probably give that, but I will... I like to call it the nerdicorn, but uh, I'm not really sure what the name for that is. Um, anyway, so a lot of the things I'm gonna try and talk to you today is about what your brand is and what that represents. It's basically sort of a promise to your customers, um, but a lot of people kind of stop there and don't think about how do you tell that story to the customers? And that's kind of like where a lot of the marketing comes in. Uh, the other thing I wanna talk about is how your value add, which is a really overused terms and often a bunch of bullshit, uh, how that is you know, different from the rest of the market, particularly uh, in how it's different to the founders that you're trying to reach, but also to the LPs that you're trying to reach. So the idea here um, that I'm presenting is that you know, most of VC is really a deal flow funnel. Uh, you're trying to get you know, people to come to you, hopefully, or you may be chasing them. Uh, and then you're going to be telling your story, getting them to, you know, react to that story, hopefully give you a chance uh, to pitch you or get, have them pitch you on what they're doing. And then there's a process of going through, you know, due diligence, asking questions, research, negotiation, et cetera, that might result in investment. Um, and so a lot of people talk a lot about the evaluation process and the due diligence, and we might talk a little bit about that. But what I want to primarily talk about is how do you fill the top of that funnel uh, with qualified leads, that is, you know, companies that you want to invest in and hopefully want you to invest in them, uh, and not companies that you don't want to invest in, uh, companies that aren't, you know, the right stage or the right geography or, or et cetera. And again, we'll talk about the LP side of that as well. Um, I guess to start out, uh, I'd like to kind of keep this interactive. Um, on that right side, I really talk about like what you know, you need to be successful as a VC is really, can you raise the money? Can you get the deal flow? And then we'll talk a lot about how you help the companies. Um, the numbers that people most of the time quote in VC is, can you return 3X net on the money? Uh, can you return 20% net IRR? Um, but what I'd like to ask everyone is try to describe your fund if you are a VC in three words, and that would be stage, geography, and vertical. And can you just Throw that into the chat right now because I just love to see like what people are trying to do. Three words: stage, geography, vertical. Seed is taking over our feed. I'm seeing <laughs> a lot of seed. Yes, yeah. I kind of assume <laughs> that. I'm assuming most of the people here are probably U.S. focused. Yeah, a lot of U.S. Some Mexico, some Africa. Definitely some fintech, some weed tech, <laughs> bio, SaaS. All right, I'm going to show you one more slide and then I'm going to like stop for the slide thing. So. The thing that you have to kind of figure out is what are you going to do to differentiate yourself from the rest of the market? If, if you're doing uh, pre-seed and seed SaaS or pre-seed and seed FinTech or pre-seed and seed, I don't know, choose the other favorite category. There's a lot of other people doing that. Um, and you're not going to be very distinguishable either from the fundraising side or from the founder side. Um, so I like to show this slide of like, what are you trying to do that's different than the rest of the market? Uh, and you might want to qualify that with what do portfolio companies care about because you don't want to just be different. You also want to be relevant to what they need. 
or at least what they think they need. Um, and those two might be different, but in any case, you want to be able to tell a differentiated story that resonates with the customer and is different from the rest of the market. Go ahead, uh, Ayla, take over if you want to like start asking questions. Yeah, we've got some questions. In. And I think that these are something that people are very curious about. Um, really good tip on the, on the three main points, but what do you think emerging managers often are making a mistake on when it comes to branding? In our chat previously said, they tried to sound too perfect. Could you elaborate on that bit a bit? Well, I don't know about perfect, but I think maybe they elaborate too much. And, you know, brands don't necessarily get better because you add more words or talk longer. Um, so usually I would try to get it to be pretty simple. That's why I kind of ask people for three words um, to kind of describe their brand. And, and it's tough, right? It's tough to differentiate yourself from the rest of the universe in just three words. Um, I think the other thing that's maybe challenging, and we had this issue with 500s, is what's your brand to the LPs versus what's your brand to the founders? Because um, that can be challenging to be aligned. We, we had a brand for founders that was sort of irreverent with 500 startups and very, you know, power to the people and community. And a lot of that stuff resonated really well with founders. Sometimes it was a little bit edgy uh, for the fundraising side of the community. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you have to figure out like, how do you find a balance between your LP brand and your fundraising uh, founder brand? And hopefully those aren't too far apart or too misaligned. Um, but I would say the primary thing is really to tell a simple story. And then the other part of it, I think I mentioned is tell the story, right? Like just because you create a brand and put it on your website or your deck doesn't mean that people are going to hear about it. And so the marketing activities are the communication of your brand to customers. Um, mm -hmm. One of the other slides I talk about is how do you do, how do you tell that story? Do you tell it online? Do you tell it via speaking? Do you write? Do you run conferences? Do you do networking? So there's lots and lots and lots of ways to generate deal flow and tell your story, but some people don't tell the story and they may not, you know, you may not really be communicating your brand, even though you think you've defined it, you haven't really told people what it is uh, or how it's different from other people. That makes sense. And go back to, and I am, uh, I did, I am on your slides. Um, you talk about the superpower what makes you special. Um, obviously right. with every fund we, we kind of dig in on it's, thesis, really differentiated background, et cetera. So aside from, you know, sector, stage and uh, geography, what are some of the really interesting superpowers? And you can use specific examples if you want to plug somebody, but what, what sets people apart from the crowd? Um, sure. Actually, I think uh, Gopi Rangan is in our, uh, our community here somewhere and he's doing an insure tech fund. Uh, and I think I would, I would suggest a lot of his differentiation is really focusing on community that matters uh, and really trying to drive a story around a very specific part of fintech and insurance tech. Um, he and I talked a lot about before he wanted to get his message out, he started working on a podcast to tell a story. Um, so I, I think, you know, again, you want to kind of be different from the other people out there and you know, if you're just talking about fintech, that might be overly broad. You may want to differentiate within fintech. Um, on one of the slides uh, that I had up there, I think it's slide five or six, I defined five kind of key areas to think about for differentiation. And these are, you know, probably product, uh, customers, people are recruiting, process, and raising money. And you don't have to be great at all of those, but you probably want to be great or better at at least one. 
usually people have to be good at helping their companies raise money regardless, but those first four areas are probably a place where you could differentiate. So you might be a very product-focused VC that's helping an early-stage company think about uh, how to do the technology architecture or the user interface design or the user experience. Uh, you could be someone who's more sales and marketing-focused, who's trying to help them with getting users or customers. Uh, you could be recruiting-focused, and that might be for a specific discipline, maybe engineering or maybe sales or maybe leadership-focused. Or you could be process-oriented. Maybe you're someone who's you know great at setting up a sales process or setting up uh, a customer support process. Um, so usually I would say rather than trying to be, you know, good at everything, trying to emphasize one of those areas, which which probably is relevant to the stage and geography and vertical of the company that you're that you're trying to invest in. We had a good one from the from the audience. Helene asks, what are three great LP engagement strategies that you've seen managers implement? Maybe maybe like aside from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe that's uh, more effective these days. I'm not sure that Twitter is always the best strategy for mm. fundraising. Um, but, um, you know, fundraising is a challenge, particularly for folks who are raising new funds, small funds. Uh, there's, there's always, you know, a lot of institutional community doesn't want to invest in smaller funds or people who are on anything less than fund three or even longer. Sometimes uh, it's hard for people who are institutional to invest in funds that are smaller than 50 to hundred million. So, I think knowing what type of LP you're trying to go after, um, probably put those into three or four groups that are simple for the moment, which is high net worth individuals, uh, family offices, corporates, and everything else. And there's a lot of everything else, but usually the everything else requires um, you know, larger checks and more background and track record. Um, you might throw government and other you know, sort of foundation entities in there that might have a little bit more access than the institutional folks. But for the uh, individuals in high net worth and corporates, um, they probably are at least open to investing in smaller funds, maybe even first-time funds. And usually you're going to have to tune your message to them about what you're trying to accomplish, not necessarily just returns. Uh, corporate LPs might care about uh, industry research. Uh, you might be able to help them with marketing or events. Uh, sometimes they're not just interested in deal flow, but they might be interested in deal flow. Uh, a lot of the family offices, um, some of them may be looking for direct investment opportunities. So you might be pitching co-investment options or other you know, investment rights. Uh, individuals may have a personal interest in a particular type of company uh, or being part of the process. And maybe, you know, a lot of non-investment returns may be something that might be engaging for them. That's a great, and you know, you're talking about audience there. And a lot of the audience in this event is uh, first-time managers. But what we found is that as you get to that fund three, and now you can talk to institutional allocators, your fund is larger, your, which means your strategy has to change, right? Now you're leading instead of following, you know, or you have to go tighter on a vertical or go more agnostic. But that natural evolution, how, how have you seen people kind of manage that so that it doesn't completely blow up the branding, right? Because if you change your strategy, right. you should be yep. positioned. Well, I, I don't always believe that just because your fund gets larger, the ch strategy changes, but that is true for most people who want to keep doing a similar number of deals when they have a lot more money to spend. Usually that pushes out the stage that they're investing in, uh, unless they higher in scale they're investing. Uh, and we're right, it probably does you know, take on doing more in a lead deal, potentially taking board seats and others. Um, I kind of would disagree that your strategy needs to get more niche focused. Actually, I think it kind of works the other way. 
you're, you're better off being a specialist in the beginning uh, because it's easier to get deal flow if you specialize. And then as you get more famous and recognized, hopefully, uh, you can expand your, your funnel and you don't have to stick as much to the initial target area. This assumes that you're getting more recognized and getting more deal flow. Um, you, you may still want to specialize, but I, I think it's more important in the beginning to try and identify you know, a place where you can sort of differentiate yourself and you know, the smaller you cut that pie, the more narrow. If you're the only venture capitalist who is investing in left-handed scuba divers who do fintech for, I don't know, the, uh, the people who are under five foot four community, then you're pretty specialized, right? You could probably be the best in that niche. I, I don't know if that's the niche you want, but- I don't know. I don't know. Right here. I don't know. <laughs> but but as, a, as a more relevant example, if you said, hey, I'm investing in women's health care, that might seem more specific, but then somebody else could say, well, actually, I'm investing in women who are between the ages of 25 and 45 with two kids in metro areas, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe even give them some, you know, income data. So that's becoming really specialized. Uh, that mm -hmm. could still be a really big niche, but you might be a lot more defined in your story. Um, one other thing I would mention is that a lot of times people come up with a great sounding thesis, but their background doesn't match the thesis. So, you know, kind of, you know, people talk about founder market fit, product market fit, whatever, um, really understanding that can you execute on the thesis that you're talking about? Can you win the deals that you're trying to go after? Your, your thesis might be great. But whether you can win those deals might be a different question. That's, a, that's actually one of the few's favorite things to dig into. And we're, I think we bang our head against the wall most. Um, one of the questions though, for emerging managers that might not have a track record, let's eliminate the track record from the deck. What else can people use to establish credibility? Sure. Actually, I will do another screen share really quick and talk through. This is a sample deck that's uh, a, a page about a sample deck that's included in my deck, just to clarify. Um, so the stuff on the left is probably like 10 categories that you might want to include. Um, and then kind of, I talk about like, if you have a track record and it's a good track record, you should probably talk about that first. And, you know, the more that you can talk about that, the better, but for a lot of emerging managers, you might not have much data or not a lot of, you know, outperformance yet. Uh, and so then you might talk about what your team and experience is, um, or if it's just you, what your experience is. Uh, sometimes if you have a really hot thesis that a lot of you know, investors are really excited about, you don't necessarily need track record. Um, might not be the right strategy for your investors to be making decisions that way. But uh, right now, if you're working on the creator economy or NFTs or fintech or crypto, you probably have a lot of interested parties regardless. Uh, other times, you know, less sexy topics may not be as exciting. If you don't have, you know, maybe the hottest thesis or the hottest track record, I think that's when you really have to start, start talking about how do you get access to deal flow? How do you win deals? What's your differentiated story? My thinking is really smart LPs should be asking you about what's your deal flow, right? How do you get and generate deal flow? And often a lot of LPs may overlook that, but you know, I think for the more informed LPs, they're going to want to know, why are you going to get these deals? Why are you going to win these deals? Again, push. I feel like I'm doing talk radio where I reintroduce <laughs> myself every time. I'm going to put my link to my slides again in this. Uh, and I'll post these on SlideShare later. It's, it's our completely arbitrary, no, uh, no, no pitch deck or avoid pitch deck rules for speakers. So that's, that's where the, the conflict's coming in. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that's uh, is a theme being picked up is probably the right way to say it in the chat is process. 
specifically what that investing process looks like. 500 startups, which, you know, a thing or two about is famous for having a very clear, just like streamlined process on diligencing. I've, I've heard it uh, in, in a good way. What are the key elements as a first time manager that you need to have in place in terms of process and specifically more for positioning with LPs? What do they want to see in that process other than top of funnel to your earlier point? Well, again, what LPs want to see and what I actually think is best pro- best in class process may not always match up. I think LPs like to see a lot of process, whether or not it matters. Um, prob- probably the things that they do care about a lot, particularly more institutional LPs, is do you have uh, a, a structured reporting process? Uh, do you have you know fund administrator? Do you have um, you know somebody helping you with financials, maybe tax planning? legal issues. So there's a lot of back office and a lot of things that aren't deal focused. I mean, you know, to make sure that the the operation runs and sometimes for single fun, uh, for single GPs that can be challenging to manage all that stuff and to even understand all that stuff. Um, I, I would say that, you know, there's a lot of focus around the evaluation process, the due diligence process, Again, I think people tend to overbuild that a lot. Uh, one thing that I like to say is, um, can you identify a critical few set of questions that filter in or filter out the deals that you want to do? And to try and make that as simple and as fast as process as possible. So like, it's not effective you know, for you to throw a really long due diligence process at founders. They're just going to get pissed off. Um, you know, especially if they have options, they will just say, fuck it, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, a lot of times we got to a point with 500 where we could probably ask three to five questions and know whether we want to have a longer conversation or not. And some of those might be around, do you have a product? Do you have customers? What's the current level of revenue on a periodic basis? Uh, What's growth rates? Do you feel like you have product market fit or not? You know, there's probably not a lot of questions that you need to ask to understand like, okay, this is a hard yes, or this is a hard no, or even at least if it's not a hard yes, it's like, yes, I want to learn more. And so I don't think you should try and have too detailed a due diligence process. In fact, you kind of want to go the opposite way, which is what's the fewest number of questions that I can ask where I know 80, 90% confidence I'm going to say no and 89% confidence I'm going to like maybe not say yes, but at least want to have a meeting. And the great part about once you get that defined is tell everybody what those questions are and get them to know in advance, you know, before they refer deals to you, do they fit those questions? Like you don't want to have an opaque due diligence process. You want to have a very, very clear, like, okay, if you're doing more than, I don't know, $10,000 a month and you have customers in a product and you haven't raised, you know, uh, more than $3 million, I want to talk to you. Somebody else could figure that out for you and send companies your way. And then you have a very targeted list of folks to talk to as opposed to just, I've got a meeting calendar fill up with a bunch of people that I'm going to say no to. I like that efficiency of a uh, minimum amount of data just tells actionable. That's, that's the yeah. right way. Almost, almost feels like Bayesian in some sense. Crit- critical few scalable DT that you can outsource to anybody. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I like that. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, the end of attention spans in general. So what we're going to do is we're going to do our, our first breakout room or second, depending on how you, you define things. A couple housekeeping items. First, there is no A-hole rule um, and there's a no pitching rule. So please, uh, we've had to make recent issues along those lines. So uh, be, be considerate and don't do any hard pitches. Uh, we don't do an attendee list. So privacy concerns, yada, yada. But if you find somebody that serendipity does its thing, swap details, 
But we also do have a very lively WhatsApp group where you can ask questions and network and all those things offline. And we will send around, or I will send around, a voluntary participant spreadsheet where you can add your information. Isla, do you want to kick off the uh, the breakout rooms? Yeah, we're ready for the first question. Um, confession time, which branding mistakes have you made in your own journey and how did you fix them? I will post it in the chat here, but also via broadcast later so you can see it in the rooms. I'm going to open all the rooms. See you in 10 minutes or so back here. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Isla is going to, I believe, reshuffle breakout rooms. So we have a chance for a couple of questions. So Dave, and as a reminder, you probably are muted, um, branding mistakes. It, Amon actually kind of threw you guys under the bus a little bit because he pointed out <laughs> that, pay, that PayPal itself is a terrible name for an institutional financial <laughs> services company. You're not paying your pal anymore. Similarly, 500 startups. You've invested a lot more than 500 startups, so that might have been a little bit short on the ambition as well. Would you consider yes. those mistakes or learnings? Or are there kind of... Well, no, I don't think PayPal branding was a mistake. I do think that, you know, the initial audience was small sellers on eBay who needed uh, to accept credit card payments. And so a consumer friendly, you know, memorable, you know, brand probably was the right, you know, story for the initial audience there. Although I think PayPal was actually the fourth name for the company. I can't remember, but Confinity and, uh, for at least a brief time, X.com, I think, you know, when Elon's, yeah. Elon merged. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a famous T-shirt that I have by Chad Hurley, uh, the former founder of YouTube, that had like all the different logos for PayPal, <laughs> seven or eight logos on this T-shirt. Um, but I, I don't think PayPal was a bad brand to start. It became more challenging when we wanted to start branching out to enterprise customers and business markets and so then you kind of had to like, you know, morph the brand a little bit and we did PayPal for business for a little while. And, you know, I, I think it's less of an issue once you have an established, you know, audience to then pivot to other, you know, brands alternatives, but it can be tough when you have two different audiences. Uh, with 500 startups, I was just commenting about this this morning, looking at recent scale that YC is doing. Uh, people used to laugh at when I said the name, like they would literally laugh in my face at the time, the, the even concept of doing that many companies was silly to people and they would actually laugh. <laughs> um, and so, again, this is why I was saying the founder match was great. Like we had built this idea of a, a large community. Everybody was like, you know, yeah, that's a really important thing to have network and alumni and people to help with, your, you know, at least to talk to. Um, on the LP side, large portfolio theory wasn't in vogue at the time. People, you know, generally wanted you to have a more focused, uh, smaller, more concentrated portfolio, and that created a ton of challenges for us. Um, I don't necessarily regret it, but it made it it made it difficult when, you know, the brand messaging for one audience was very different than it was for the other. Gotcha. And has those learnings uh, rolled over? And this is your chance to plug Practical VC and how you decided to do the branding there. <laughs> Uh, yes, that was not lost on me when we came up with a name for PDC. And uh, you know, practical venture capital itself is sort of like an inside joke because it's not. Uh, but you know, we're we're trying to make venture capital more practical, I guess. Um, you know, we're we're in the secondary market. We're generally buying uh, LP interests or GP interests, so not secondary at the company level, although we do that. But we buy interests in funds uh, from people who are investors, or sometimes even from the GPs themselves. Uh, and so, you know, the, the messaging there around practical venture capital 
was probably more towards the LP uh, to our investor side and trying to help make it easier for them and not take so much time. You know, typically VC is a very long, illiquid asset class, and we're trying to make it more practical for people who want a shorter hold period or less uncertainty. Gotcha. Like, I really got to work on that. That was, that was way too long. I'm doing a shitty job on my own brand. <laughs> it's good. You've skip skip the J curve. Buy unicorns on sale. That's that's the short money. soundbite. Yes. There we go. Make money. Thank you, Amon. That's my partner. Brilliant. Actually, Steph, is, Steph is also a partner on, uh, on Senior too. We're going to do another breakout room here for uh, bringing you back about eight minutes past and have a chance for the audience to do maybe one more question. Um, we'll do one more question. Actually, you know what? Let's just do uh, let's just do the question for the breakout room. Mr. McClure, uh, what funds brands do you like? The names and then also just the positioning. Uh, I don't know. This is just a chance to plug a bunch of your friends. Huh. <laughs> uh Yes, all of my uh, children slash friends are tall, beautiful, and above average. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I would start out with where I was inspired. Um, so when I got started, obviously YC and to some extent tech stars were pretty important. But even before that, uh, Bill Gross at Idealab was a big influence. And I've, I had a chance to meet Bill a few times, and he's really amazing. Um, I think other folks that were... Uh, Helpful, uh, Josh Koppelman at first round. Uh, didn't hire me, but gave me a small check. So I was I was crushed that he didn't hire me. I was elated that he wrote me a small check. I think that was really just to have me go away. <laughs> uh, a few other folks. Um, yes, Mark, Mark Andreessen, Fred Wilson, Mark Suster, Brad Feld were all folks who were inspiring. A few of those people wrote me checks. Sorry, I'm rattling off all white guys. Um, uh, some folks that I've invested in who I'm really uh, excited by, Monique Woodard, who runs Cake Ventures. Uh, she used to work with us at 500 Startups. Uh, a lot of her investment thesis is uh, around um, older internet users, so the gray audience that's above 50, which now includes me. Um, uh, Andre Sharu, who runs Maple VC, uh, was an early employee at Uber and hired, uh, I, I think is investing trying to remember if he's out of New York or Toronto. Um, and um, let's see. Yeah, those are some ones that I, I think. I think, again, I'm kind of really a big fan of folks that are niche focused um, and tell that story well. We did a lot of stuff in the international market. So that's also a passion is people are working on non-US markets or non-Silicon Valley markets. It's funny, I, um, I I don't ever do my intro, but my background actually I did a dec decade or so in high frequency trading. And I don't know if it, if it crosses asset classes, but in trading, it was very much a, a common saying, niches to riches. Um, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're trying and true with that here. Um, uh, but I think that- mentioned Howard Morgan in the chat and he's maybe the lesser known half of uh, first round capital, but Howard Morgan is a fantastic and amazing uh, person, very, very generous, awesome. And it's funny because the adjectives you're using around branding are more about their giving and their generosity versus like their investing prowess, which generally is uh, how people <laughs> operate, frankly, um, for, for better or worse. Uh, but that is top of the hour. We do try to wrap it right at time. So we're a minute over. Um, so just so you know, what's up, what's app is, uh, goodness me. Up next, please join the WhatsApp group, introduce yourself, ask for something. The community is really good about, especially introductions. Um, as a reminder, Diffuse, what we do is fund in a box. 
so we can help people spin up funds. We really specialize in niches, um, tight theses, clear branding, all of those things. And then we have, ooh, next week. Next week is fun chit chats. We're not gonna have a speaker. It's just gonna be a lot more networking, so join us. But the week after that is a special treat for two reasons. One, it is the one year anniversary of doing this every single week. So that's exciting. And two, we have the drummer for the Smashing Pumpkins coming on, who is going to be, he's also a music technology investor. So uh, I don't know, depending on everybody's demographics, you may or may not like me have grown up on their music. So you get a chance to see me fanboy out a little bit. Um, but on that, Mr. McClure, thank you so much for donating some of your time as well to Amon and Stephanie, your partners at Practical VC, and everybody who came here today. Ayla, unless I'm missing something. All set. Uh, Nima has gone out with all links to the tech and to WhatsApp, so you'll be able to connect in just a second. Right. See you all next time. See you Bye. guys next week. Thanks again. Great job, Dave. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Great shirt, Dave. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoyed these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.